Hello, CFL fans and degenerate gamblers. Welcome back to another episode of Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon. Great to be here for another week of Canadian football. Here's how it's going to work. We'll take a look back at everything that happened in week three, try to figure out how the market is going to react to those results, and then do some deep dives on the upcoming games and see if we can find some betting value. Before we get into that, I'll remind you that you can always drop me a line at cflbettingpodcast at gmail.com. All your feedback, good or bad, is welcome, and I thank everyone for their likes, subscribes, and support. Week three, bit of an interesting week, perhaps a little frustrating from a betting perspective. The market liked most of the favorites, and unfortunately for the market, underdogs came up with three outright wins, the Rough Riders being the lone favorite to win and cover their number. Starting off with Edmonton, BC, well, we finally saw the passing game out of Edmonton that we were all expecting at the start of the season, with Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson hooking up a number of times. James Wilder had some decent gains along the ground, and the Elks offense finally found some pay dirt, cracking 20 points, and they combined... That with a strong defensive effort, and it was enough for a 21-16 victory last Thursday night. There were still some mistakes out there on offense. Darrell Walker flat out dropped a pass that probably would have gone for a lengthy touchdown. Harris was picked off on the first drive of the game, and head coach Jamie Elizondo flat out bungled the clock on the last possession of the first half, having to settle for a field goal when they really ought to have got off at least one more red zone snap. But overall, you have to be encouraged by what you saw. And to my eye, the biggest difference week over week was the addition of Kyle Saxlid at the left tackle position. Saxlid missed the first two games injured, and his value was immediately apparent with much stronger protection on Harris's blind side in this game. For the Lions, this was a bit of a dud overall. Mike Riley and the offense never managed to really find much traction, and they wasted some good field position early on in this game, failing to fully capitalize on a strong opening kickoff return and an interception in the first quarter. Stuck in the mud is the best term I can come up with to describe the Leo's offense on this night, and the loss of Joel Figueroa at the tackle position early on was something they had difficulty adapting to. We knew coming in that this hadn't been an overly efficient offense, but one that had connected on a high number of medium to deep passes, and in this game, they just weren't able to stretch the field at all. The coverage from the Elks secondary was better than I expected, forcing Mike Riley to go to his second read or check down constantly. Though I do feel the Lions were just a little too conservative here, they did manage to drop some pass interference calls on some of the few plays where they actually went deep and I think they probably ought to have forced that issue a little earlier. Another 0-2 team got on the board this week. That was the Calgary Stampeders, led by surprise starter Jake Meyer, who gets the W in his first career game. This game did not start well for Meyer or the Stamps, who found themselves behind 14-3 in the second quarter after a pair of picks, and with Montreal knocking on the door for a third touchdown, but... A Vernon Adams interception near the goal line really turned the momentum in this game. The Alouettes opened his field goal favorites at the major books, and that line got bet up all the way to minus six as the market was extremely bullish on the Owls. We did see see some buyback at that point. I, I believe Montreal closed at four and a half or five at most places, but this was all going according to plan until that pick. Gahari Jones coached a great game, I thought, up in Edmonton in Week 2, but there were some definite mistakes in this one. 
I don't understand why William Stanback didn't see more of the football in the second half as the Alouettes still led this game for much of the third quarter and we're having pretty good success along the ground. We saw way too many low percentage passes from Adams. Montreal seemed to be trying to hit home runs on plays where five to seven yard pickups would have been sufficient. And I just don't understand why CFL coaches continue to concede safeties. We saw this from Kahari in the second half, and those two points given away for free did play a role in the fourth quarter, as a scenario existed where the Owls could have tied the game late with a field goal instead of requiring the major had those two points not been gifted to the Stamps earlier on. But credit where it's due, it would have been very easy for this Calgary team to roll over and die down by two scores early on with a rookie quarterback, but they kept chipping away. They avoided Kier's. Meyer looked reasonably poised back there, and basically they let the Owls bumble this game away with the aforementioned mistakes, along with a ridiculous 19 penalties, many of them totally unnecessary. Calgary did catch a break on a couple of those calls, a phantom offside penalty on what would have been a Stamps turnover on downs in particular was a a crucial moment in this football game. But to echo my comments after the Argonauts penalty filled loss in Winnipeg a couple weeks back, I just don't understand how a professional football team can lose focus and lose control of their emotions to the extent the Owls did on Friday. And regardless of anything else that unfolded on the field, 19 penalties makes a game practically unwinnable. So unfortunately, our best bet that looked so promising earlier in the evening turned into a pumpkin as the night wore on, and like the Owls, we'll be looking for a rebound in week four. Of the three upsets that did take place, Toronto knocking off the previously unbeaten Bombers on Saturday afternoon was probably the least surprising for me, but nonetheless, the Boatmen still found themselves as four-and-a-half-point dogs when this game kicked off. All the potential concerns we had about Winnipeg essentially came to fruition in this game. I I talked about how this offense had quietly not been all that great in their first two appearances, and they served up a full-on stinker in this one, a game where I would say the final score greatly flattered them. The Bombers' run game, absent Andrew Harris for the third week in a row, was a total non-factor, and the short passing game that bailed them out the previous week never materialized in this game, I mentioned that whether or not Nick Dembski could play was going to be a big factor, and indeed his loss was felt on an afternoon where the Bombers never really had anybody step up on a drive and make a couple plays, save for Darvin Adams hauling in a deep ball for a touchdown in his first game of the season. Winnipeg defense was a little Jekyll and Hyde in this one. They forced an ungodly number of fumbles, three alone from Jackson Jeffcoat off the edge, and and that's really the only thing that kept this game in reach, as you can make the argument that fumbles swung 21 points on the scoreboard. But uh, the coverage was definitely lacking. Nick Arbuckle was finding open targets pretty much any time his offensive line kept the pocket clean. One of the stories in this game was the emergence of DJ Foster in the Argonauts' backfield. He hit the 100-yard plateau running in his first ever CFL game. This guy looks quick, and I could see a situation developing where he becomes Toronto's standard down primary back, and John White is used in the heavier sets. Overall, the Argos called a really clean game, I thought. Great Great blend of run and pass, and they were a step ahead of Winnipeg in the play-calling department for most of the afternoon. Toronto offense, I I did figure, was going to be improved week over week, but I did not expect them to be moving the ball quite this well against a defense that had given up so little through their first two games. This ended up being one of the first games of the year to really blow through the total. 
And for underbetters, one of whom was unfortunately myself, that defensive score for the Bombers pretty much put that ticket on ice before the first half was even over. The last game on the Week 3 schedule was probably the game that unfolded the closest to how we expected to in terms of the final result. But if you were on the Riders laying all those points against Ottawa, you were definitely sweating throughout as that Red Blacks defense came up with another very strong effort and kept this game in reach for quite a while and kept the cover within reach until the very end. You had Ottawa defensive coordinator Mike Benavides going up against Saskatchewan offensive coordinator Jason Moss. Those two, of course, worked together in Edmonton for multiple seasons. And in spite of the end result, I'd probably give the edge here to Benavides' defensive unit. The Red Blacks defense was largely able to keep Cody Fajardo in check, and while he did complete a very impressive 30 out of 35 passes, the Riders offense took a long time to find any true momentum, and they failed to hit on too many big plays until the later stages. Tackling looked excellent from Ottawa. Riders running back William Powell couldn't get anything going on the ground at all. And other than the fact that they couldn't create a single turnover, I, I don't think you can really ask for much more from that defensive unit. Red Blocks offense, well, that's a different story. The Riders defense was not afraid to stack the box up and bring the blitz against an Ottawa O-line that still looks very suspect, and they got home for six sacks in addition to keeping the Ottawa run game from doing any damage. The Red Blacks did get a couple of nice scampers out of Devontae Dedman after he took over for the injured Tim Flanders at halftime, but when you're down two scores in the fourth quarter... You need to lean more heavily on your pass game, and with Mac Nichols back there throwing to a cast of nobodies, that just wasn't going to trouble a Riders defense that prevented any Ottawa receiver not named R.J. Harris from picking up more than nine yards on a single reception. The Riders took some unnecessary roughness penalties that were able to help Ottawa move down the field on their lone touchdown drive of the game, but Beyond that one drive and Harris's 42-yard circus catch that set up a field goal earlier, it was another evening of Ottawa's offense looking completely toothless out there, and it is quite evident through two games that the talent is simply not there on this side of the ball. The winner of this game was going to be the last undefeated team in the league in 2021 by virtue of the Bombers losing earlier in the day. No surprise that it does end up being the Riders earning that distinction, and they will head into their bye week atop the Western Division standings at 3-0, and in pretty good overall health as they get two weeks now to prepare for the crucial two-game Labor Day series with Winnipeg. Onwards we move to week number four, and first on the docket is Edmonton at Toronto. This is an easy one to handicap as the game has been cancelled. Hopefully everyone was on the under for points scored and on the over for positive Elks COVID tests. I'll tell you what, this never would have happened to the Eskimos. Moving on, the 1-1 one one Alouettes will host the 0-2 Tiger Cats in an important early season clash. The Tiger Cats are coming in off a bye, and in spite of their poor showing so far, they're actually slight favorites in this game, laying two points, and we've got an over-under of 46.5. Injury reports. Hamilton's bye week came at a good time with how many early season injuries they suffer, and they look like they'll be getting some guys back. Defensive backs Tende Adelike and Cariel Brooks have both been full participants in practice this week and are expected to play, as are running backs Malik Irons and Don Jackson. Not sure if both will be on the game day roster, but both will be available. Defensive tackles Dylan Wynn and Ted Laurent are questionable, but they have been on the practice field at least. On the downside, it doesn't look like Chris Van Zyl will be available on the offensive line. 
Jeremiah Masoli has been limited this week. And in fact, Dane Evans has been named Friday's starter in light of this development. Starting safety, Mike Daly, he went down last game and he isn't expected to suit up in this one. And I'm actually just seeing now that Russian Jagarit Davis is going to miss this game as well. For the Alouettes, Antonio Simmons missed practice earlier in the week, but was a full participant on Wednesday, and it appears they will be getting Patrick Levels back at the outside linebacker position. And that's pretty much it, as the Owls are remarkably healthy at the present moment. We saw how dangerous 0-2 teams are last week with the underdog Elks and Stampeders both getting their first wins of the season and going off memory. This has been a theme in the CFL for a long time. For whatever reason, as soon as a team looks to be on the ropes, they, they will circle the wagons. So are we going to see that again this Friday? I, I wouldn't say it's a must-win game yet for Hamilton from a standings perspective. We've seen multiple teams win Grey Cups in this century after starting 0-3 or worse. But from a mental standpoint, especially coming off the bye week, this team just cannot afford another flat effort. I expect them to come in focused and prepared, and evidently so do the bookies by making them favorites here. But you can do all those things, get yourself fully prepared to win during two weeks of prep time, and still fail to execute when the lights come on, and it's not like the other team is just sitting around either. So I am mildly surprised to see them favored in this spot. I mentioned this last week, variance is going to come into play. We saw that with the, the Elks last week after two putrid offensive performances, but metrically Hamilton has been flat out horrific in their first two games. Granted, those did come on the road against Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, arguably the two best teams in the league, but from a numbers standpoint, Hamilton has no business being favored here. I know this was the Grey Cup favorite to start the season, but at some point expectations do give way to on-field results. That evidently hasn't happened yet in the betting market, and I wouldn't be racing to the window to put a bucket of money on an Alouette's team that took 19 penalties last week and blew an 11-point lead. But based purely on what we have seen in 2021, there is significant value on Montreal right now as a home dog. As I mentioned in the injury reports, Hamilton is getting healthier in some areas. You know, Tandea Delake isn't a household name, neither is Cariel Brooks, but these guys are very solid pieces in the defensive backfield, and they will make things difficult for Vernon Adams if Montreal tries to lean too heavily on the vertical passing game again. And this might be the one thing that makes this game a little tricky to handicap. We, we've seen Montreal utilize a power run game with calculated deep shots to blow the Elks out of the water, and we've seen them drift away from the run and kill drives by getting greedy and forcing balls downfield against Calgary. This was somewhat of a pattern in 2019 as well, not knowing exactly which Montreal team we were going to get on any given day from a strategic standpoint. Now that can have its own advantages, although let's be frank, it's not ideal from a betting perspective. So tough as it is to project these things, if I'm Kahari Jones, I see that Hamilton's defense has been run on by opposing offenses at a 62% efficiency clip and I'm giving William Stam back the football until they prove they can stop the run. Now, Hamilton hasn't been great against the pass either, but with what appears to be some personnel upgrades in the secondary, Mike Daly's absence notwithstanding, I think I'd be a little more choosy with the deep balls and try to control the clock and win the field position battle if I were Montreal. Hamilton's offense is going to have a bit of a different look with Dane Evans slinging the rock in place of Jeremiah Masoli. We did get a look at Evans in the second half two weeks ago, so he's not coming in completely cold. But for me, the biggest issue with Hamilton's offense so far has been the line play. 
And with Chris Van Zyl looking unlikely to suit up for this one after gutting it out at less than 100% in week two, I'm just not sure a quarterback change is going to be enough to get this offense back to respectability. I am interested to see who gets the start at running back. Between Irons, Jackson, and Thomas Erlington, that's three guys who've all looked good at times, three guys with issues staying healthy, mind you. But Hamilton really needs somebody to shed a tackle and make a play at some point, and they need some receivers to find separation and squeeze the football. Brandon Banks has looked pretty frustrated out there. He's made several errors, both drops and fumbles, and if your offense is going to get rolling, your best players need to be your best players. This is another guy, though, that isn't exactly young. He's had some notable injuries over the years, and you do wonder if there's just not a ton of gas left in the tank after two years away from the football field. So all this said, I do expect to see an improved Hamilton team on the field on Friday, but I think this is a case where you simply need to trust your numbers and evaluate these teams for what they are right now. And right now, the Tiger Cats just do not look like a club that should be favored on the road against an opponent that has looked significantly better, both visually and metrically. Montreal, coming off a bit of a painful loss, should, you would hope, have them in a headspace where they're not treating this game lightly. Practically everyone is healthy on this roster, and if they come out and execute a properly devised game plan and don't take half a dozen boneheaded roughing penalties, they should take care of business here. 0-2 teams broke our hearts and our wallets last week. There is that nagging feeling that the Ticats will somehow find a way here to avoid 0-3, but I just can't pass up getting points at home on what I feel really is the better football team at this particular moment and certainly the much healthier team. Now, I suppose both scenarios could play out here. Montreal is getting two points, so there's a small chance they'd cover in a losing effort. Whatever the case may be, I will be on the Owls for the third week in a row. Total-wise, I really have no lean here. Montreal's offense having the potential to both ground and pound or put on an air show, depending on what side of the bed Kahari Jones gets up on, makes things enough of a challenge. And then you factor in Hamilton's offense looking so bad, but also having two weeks to drop a game plan. And I think there's just too many moving parts to suss out a clear idea of how uh, offense or defensive oriented this game might become. All right, BC Ottawa. Lions will head across the country for a Saturday night clash with the Red Blacks. This line opened at about minus four for the visitors and we're seeing some movement in their favor up to minus five now, while the total has held fast at 43 and a half. On the injury front, BC looks a little banged up here with quite a number of guys limited in practice. So as of now, offensive lineman Joel Figueroa is the only guy who's not at least out there on the field, and he is projected to miss this game. Uh, we saw what happened to that line last week when Figueroa left the game early, and BC is already down Riker Matthews, who's been moved to the sixth game, so certainly keep that in mind. Over on the Ottawa side, the news is not good. RJ Harris, who in case you missed it, is the only Red Blacks receiver who would likely be a starter on any other team. Missed practice earlier this week and was limited on Thursday. Defensive backs Abdul Kenna and Sherrod Baltimore have both been absent from the field this week, as has running back Tim Flanders, who left last week's game. And right now, the status of D-lineman Cleon Lang and Stephen Charles is also up in the air. On the positive side, offensive lineman Nolan McMillan has been a full participant in practice this week after missing the previous game. 
But for a team already thin on talent, potentially being down four of their top seven or so starters, I'd say in my estimation, is not a good situation. For the breakdown, we'll start with the Lions here. This team is in a pretty precarious position right now after stubbing their toe last week. With two strong linemen expected to be sitting out in a run game that hasn't produced enough, add in Mike Riley's arm not being 100%, and suddenly you could go from looking pretty decent in the first two weeks of the year to resembling the team that finished in last place in 2019 if they don't come up with a decent performance here. In a weird way, BC's inability so far to get much going on the ground from a traditional running back play set might not be a huge factor in this game since stopping the run has been Ottawa's best attribute so far. Now with the Red Blacks possibly down to their best defensive backs, the Lions really need to get a little more creative in the pass game and go after some inexperienced backups should that situation indeed come to pass. This team has too many weapons in the receiving core to sit back and throw a bunch of passes short of the line to gain. Now, that doesn't mean you need to start chucking at 40 yards downfield, but BC needs to make better use of the slot and get some balls to receivers in stride between the hash marks. Ottawa has tackled well so far, and the hooks and curls that get receivers moving back towards the line of scrimmage by the time the ball arrives probably aren't going to get the job done. With question marks on the offensive line, some screen plays and the like to break up the blitz are also going to be important. This offense should be feeling some pressure after consecutive games under 20 points, and this just isn't a game where they can risk a similar performance. This will be head coach Rick Campbell's return to the city that rather unceremoniously dumped him after a poor 2019 campaign in spite of a pretty successful run there, so... We'll see if his players are, are able to step up and be a little more fired up to get the win for, for their coach in a, in a game that I'm sure he'd really like to win to stick it to the Red Blacks organization. So last week, we did see Ottawa's offense manage to get themselves into the end zone at least. So that's something, I guess, but there's just no way to sugarcoat how bad the personnel is on this unit. And if they are indeed down RJ Harris on Saturday, my goodness, you are looking at a situation where guys like Daniel Peterman and Nate Bahar are your go-to receivers. Nothing against these guys, but they were number five or six guys on their previous teams, and you just can't reasonably expect them to burn any decent cover team deep. Quick slants and outs... They serve their purpose, but you're not going to drive 70-plus yards with any sort of regularity if you're depending on those plays. We're sitting here two games into the season, and Ottawa's completed six passes of 10 yards or greater, and the guy who hauled most of those in might not be suiting up. Now, BC did not look good defending the pass last week. They got killed in particular on intermediate routes, and you can lay some of the blame for that at the feet of a defensive line that got very little pressure. The difference this week, though, is they will not be giving, going up against an offensive line anywhere near as strong as the Elks unit that kept them at bay. I see no reason not to send extra personnel after Matt Nichols here. There's not likely to be any receivers on the field that concern you in single-man coverage. So if I'm calling the plays for this BC defense, I wouldn't shy away from sending heat from the outside, even from the nickel and safety positions, in an effort to make life a little easier for a front four that hasn't generated much pressure thus far. There's one possible X factor here for Ottawa. I believe it's Devontae Dedman. This guy is too talented to be wasted purely as a return man who only sees the ball occasionally. On offense, uh, he's a very versatile player. He can take handoffs or catch passes. And if there's a way for the Red Blacks to move the sticks, it's probably giving the ball to this guy. 
Tim Flanders is out injured. No great loss, in my opinion. So look for Deadman to see the bulk of the carries on Saturday. And if his line's able to open up any holes for him, he's a guy that can be very explosive, as you might expect from a return man. I said last week that there was no way I was going to put any money on the Red Blacks until they scored an offensive touchdown. They have accomplished that, and there's still no way I'm going to put any money on the Red Blocks. With how this defense has looked so far, I could potentially entertain the thought of betting on them if everyone was healthy, but it seems they really can't catch a break injury-wise, and I think this is going to be another night where said defense spends way too much time on the field and starts to wear out by the fourth quarter, uh, presuming their offense can't move the ball. If BC's offense isn't able to sustain any drives early on, I think this game could turn into a grind. Much the same way Ottawa's first two games were grinds for most of the night, but at the end of the day, you've, you've got to figure Mike Riley and company will be given enough possessions with decent field positions to at least get themselves over the 20-point hurdle, and that should be enough to win this game. Will it be enough to cover the five points? Probably. I, I would lean strongly in that direction. Uh, at this point, Ottawa sits at 38% offensive efficiency on the season. Terrible in and of itself, but factor in the total lack of explosive plays. And you've got the makings for another season of historically bad production. I am seeing 19.5 for a Red Blacks team total where offered right now. I think that's pretty much a no-brainer under bet. To me, that's basically asking, will Ottawa score a defensive or special teams touchdown? You know, getting getting almost even money to, to say no to that question. This offense has found the end zone once this year, and they very likely need to find it twice in this game to go over that total. Given the Lions' enigmatic offensive results thus far, under 43.5 on the game total is probably something I'd be taking a close look at as well. So there's a few different angles you can play here. And, you know, I think as long as this number stays inside of six, it's hard to argue against backing the Lions and fading the Red Blacks offense by going under on their team totals until they stop cashing is not a bad week-to-week -week strategy either. All right, so we do have one more game on the schedule. Calgary travels to Winnipeg on Sunday. Right now, there are an awful lot of injured Blue Bombers, several of them key players whose status is still up in the air. Um, I think we'll wait an extra day before I handicap that game and, and break it down because uh, things could swing drastically depending on, on who is or isn't available for the Bombers. So we'll just get, get this one out right now with the, the two games, uh, the game on Friday and the game on Saturday. Far as a best bet goes, you know, I think we're going to have to go back to the the Montreal well here. I think we'll give them a second chance. Uh, you know, they burned us last week, but here's their chance at redemption in their home opener. Uh, you know, I like them getting points here for all the reasons mentioned in the breakdown. I, I just, other than other than that fact that zero uh, and two teams uh, just just for whatever reason tend to step up and. Find a way to avoid 0-3. There, there just isn't a lot to like about Hamilton right now. And I think if you can get what, in, in my opinion, is a better team getting points at home, it's it's simply a bet you have to take. So we will put our trust in the Alouettes once more. Plus two should still be on the board. And uh, we will we will call that a wrap for, for part one. Uh, look, for, look for part two with that Winnipeg-Calgary breakdown in the, in the next 24 hours or so. 
And uh, yeah, let's let's have a great weekend. Let's enjoy enjoy the football. It's uh, an unfortunate the Thursday nighter got scrapped on us, but we should still have three good games this week. Thanks as always to everybody for listening. All your all your support and feedback is much appreciated. And we will talk to you again very soon, hopefully with a Montreal plus two winning ticket in our hands. Bye for now.